Welcome to the Wisdom Calls channel, helping you understand the Bible better so you can have a better relationship with God and what your pastor never told you.com, helping you navigate the end times so you can stand firm until the return of Christ. Get ready. This is not your average Bible study. This is not for the faint of heart. If it's controversial and in the Bible, we'll talk about it. We are unashamedly, unabashedly, and unpredictably bringing out the truth in God's Word. And now, introducing your dynamic hostess with the mostest. She's an international speaker, author, and self-admitted nerd for the Word, Dana Crosby. So are you ready for what your pastor never told you about the book of Revelation, chapter 11? Well, that's coming up next. Make sure to visit whatyourpastornevertoldyou.com. Hey everybody, this is Dana with the Wisdom Calls channel, helping you to understand the Bible better so that you can have a better relationship with God. Welcome to Bible study today. If you're new here, consider smashing that subscribe button down below because I bring you new content about three times a week. And right now we're in the middle of an amazing series about end times prophecy. We are reading through the book of Revelation. Now the book of Revelation is one of the most hotly debated books of the Bible. And that's probably one of the reasons why many pastors don't want to preach on it because so many different people have different perspectives and different understandings to what the text has to say. But does that mean we should just gloss over it? Does that mean we should skip it altogether? No, the Lord has given us this book of prophecy for a reason. And when we compare it with the other books of prophecy in the Bible, we see they come together like the pieces of a puzzle. And so we want to read the scriptures and know what they have to say, even if some of the things we won't completely understand until their fulfillment, which I believe is coming very soon. So we want to pay attention to the details in this book. Also, we've been promised that the book of Revelation gives a blessing for those who read it aloud and for those who hear it. So we are blessed today just in studying the scriptures together. So thank you so much for joining me in studying the scriptures. I want to encourage you guys, if you haven't yet, to check out my my brand new website, whatyourpastornevertoldyou.com. You guys, in these last days, we are seeing, and you probably have witnessed it too, increasing persecution towards Christians and increasing censorship and shutting down of ideas on major social network platforms from Facebook to Twitter to YouTube. All of these platforms have been curtailing the ability for Christians to get their messages out. And even those that have millions of subscribers have been facing all kinds of persecution. And this is why we need a free speech platform today like never before. When this country was founded, we they knew our founding fathers knew the importance of freedom of speech and also freedom of press because when the government controls the press they can often control the ideas of the hearts and minds of people if they believe what's been given in the fake news and all those different sources if you get propaganda fed to you nonstop, it can be that you start to believe it so in these days more than ever we need to have a free speech dialogue and because my ads on Facebook have have been banned. They've been censored, you guys. I encourage you to send out these videos far and wide. Whenever you get a new video come across your feed, share it on your Facebook page. Share it on all the different social platforms that you're on. If you're on Twitter, wherever you would go, make sure to share these videos. And not just mine, you guys. Any Christian's videos that you're getting good content from, share those because I guarantee you they're facing the same types of persecution. 
So in these last days, let's make sure to be studying the word of God diligently, getting it deep in our hearts so the Holy Spirit can quicken it to us so that we have it in our hour of need. That being said, today we are getting into the book of Revelation chapter 11, and I love this chapter. You guys, in chapter 10, we read about the messenger coming down from heaven that had the scroll, and now we're reading about the two witnesses from heaven. So read along with me. Read, come along. Come on, let's read along together with Revelation chapter 11. Then there was given me a measuring rod like a staff, and someone said, Get up and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. Leave out the court, which is the outside, which is outside the temple, and do not measure it. For it has been given to the nations, and they will tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months. Okay, so this is really interesting, you guys, and you are going to notice that not only in the book of Revelation, but also in the book of Daniel, and maybe other places in the scriptures as well, but they're in agreement with each other that there is a period of seven, which is called, they call it a seven-week period, but it's a week of years. In other words, there's seven days in a week. There's seven years in this last day's time period. It's called Daniel's 70th week. And so you can read about that in the book of Daniel. And we'll probably be doing that together in a Bible study very soon when we conclude with the book of Revelation. So we have a seven-year time period that is going to be the last seven-year period before the millennial reign of Christ, where Jesus himself is going to come down on planet Earth, and he is going to rule and reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years before Satan is let out again to be utterly defeated once and for all on planet Earth. So what we notice here is that there's a time frame. So there's a temple that is being measured. They're measuring the temple in Jerusalem, but he's saying don't measure the outer court because that's been given to the Gentiles for this time. So it's talking about in the last days, the Gentiles are going to have control of the outer court of this temple. And it even tells us a period how long? 42 months. And we know that these time periods are literal time periods because they are mentioned oftentimes both in months and in days. And I think maybe there's even a place where it talks about weeks. But um, it, regardless of that, it's interesting that God gives us the time frame in terms of months and in terms of days. Also, I want you to notice that when you calculate months according to the Hebrew way of calculating months, which is what this is referring to. It's not 31 days or 28 days. They're 30-day cycles because the Hebrews go off of a solar and lunar calendar and the moon makes its you know cycle through from new moon, full moon, back to new moon again every 30 days. So whenever you calculate the months and you multiply them out and you want to do the math on it, use the number 30. It says... I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. So again, you have the same time period written a different way that they're going to be clothed in sackcloth. Now sackcloth was the, it's the, it's like wearing a potato sack on you. It's, it's wearing clothes that are uncomfortable. And this was common for people who were humbling themselves. They would afflict their body. They wouldn't shower. They wouldn't eat. They would fast. They would, um, you know, wear dirt on their forehead to show that they were oppressing their body, to show they were humbling themselves before God. And so these witnesses are clothed in sackcloth. And I believe they're clothed in sackcloth as a way of grieving 
grieving over the sin of the world. And so they are going to prophesy for this period of days. And it, it seems as though they're prophesying right there in Jerusalem because we've been told in the earlier verse to measure the temple, right? And it says that these two, verse 4, are the olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies. So if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. Okay, so these two last prophets, these two last prophets, these two last witnesses are going to be full of God's power. So we remember, we remember, uh, let me just back up a second and say, this begs the question, who are these two witnesses? What is the mystery of these two witnesses? And there are different theories about who these two witnesses are. Um, I have some guesses. Okay, so here's what my guess is. Enoch is a person that we hear about in the book of Genesis, and we don't read much about him, but he's one of my favorite characters in the Bible, my favorite people, not just a character. He's, it's not a non-fictional character. He's a real historic person in the Bible. And the reason he's one of my favorites is because it says that he walked with God, which I just adore. I adore that idea and concept of just walking with God. And it says, and then he was no more, for the Lord took him. So we find out that Enoch was raptured in a way. He was caught up to heaven as a precursor to those that will be raptured later. He was caught up to heaven, but he did not experience death. And we have another person in the Bible. There's only two people I know of that are listed in the Bible that don't taste death. Moses died. Moses died and God's the one who buried him. But the other person, the other person who never tasted death was Elijah. And he was a prophet from God that called fire out of heaven. If you recall, he was one of the ones, one of the few prophets that was left in the Old Testament times. He was, he was prophesying to God to a wicked king. I think it was Ahaz or Ahab, wicked king. And his evil wife Jezebel had killed off many hundreds of prophets of God. And so Elijah was one of the few that was left. He, he wasn't the only, but he was one of the few that was left. And he was the one who had this amazing showdown where um, the people had been worshiping idols. The people had been worshiping idols, all kinds of false gods. And it just angered Elijah that they weren't worshiping the one true God, the one that brought them out of Egypt, the one that has done miracle after miracle for them, for them. And so he went and he said, okay, you call out your gods. You have your sacrifice and your altar and I'll call out mine. You call to yours and I'll call to the one true God. And whichever God answers by fire, that's the one true God. And so this was in the middle of a drought that Elijah had predicted the drought and the drought was occurring all over the whole land because of the wickedness of the king. And it really shows in the Bible that the leadership of the king affects the whole country. The sin of the king affects everybody underneath of him. Likewise, the sin of a husband affects the whole family. So sin affects more than just the people doing it. It affects all of those in authority under them. And he, was, he said to them, sacrifice and see who answers by fire. So here they're in the middle of a drought and they go all day and they bloody themselves and do all kinds of things that they used to do to try to worship their God, cutting themselves, all this kind of self-mutilation didn't work. And Elijah mocked them. He says, maybe your gods are sleeping. Maybe your gods are taking a potty break, basically. Maybe they're just relieving themselves. He just mocked them and mocked them because their gods were no gods at all. 
And when it was his turn to pray to his God, I mean, these people had, had prayed all day long and nothing happened. Out in the blazing hot sun and the drought, they couldn't catch a spark for a fire. In the midst of this, when it's his turn, he has them dump buckets and buckets of water on top of his altar. And that shows me two things. Number one, he was willing to give God that which was priceless because water during that time would have been very scant because of the drought. But two, he was willing to make it harder on God because he knew that my God's the impossible God and I don't want anyone to have any question as to who is real, a real God. And so he had them pour buckets of water over top of the altar. And then when he called out to God, fire from heaven came down and it consumed everything. The the meat offerings, the water, um, the wood, I don't even know if the stones were left. Everything was licked up. And so Elijah is this prophet of God that is able to pray and call down fire from heaven. And in these prophets here, says fire flows out of their mouth to anyone who who wants to harm them. But the reason that Elijah is my number two pick for the two witnesses is because he did not die. And when it came time for him to go and be with the Lord, he went on top of a mountain and the Lord came down with a fiery chariot and picked him up in a fiery chariot and took him off to heaven while his servant Elisha, who took off after who took over after him with a double portion of his anointing, he was there and he witnessed these things. So the reason that I suspect this is because the Bible talks about how it is appointed for each man once to die. Well, these guys haven't died once, so perhaps they are the ones. I'm not saying for sure it's going to be the ones. I mean, when I think about us that are alive, when Jesus comes back, we are going to be raptured up to be with him, so we won't experience that first death. So maybe they're not, but that's my suspicion. Although I've heard other people suspect it could be Moses and Elijah that come back, and that may be as well. So we are going to have to just wait and see. But we see these two prominent figures that are really important, and it says that they are are the ones who are the olive trees and the lampstands. So olive trees and lampstands. The lampstands were these bright things that God has in his temple. Now the temple that he has set up in Jerusalem, the one that he had set up in Jerusalem, is a model of what actually is going on in heaven. And there were these lampstands outside, not in the outer courts, but I think it was in the holies, you know, but not in the inner holy place. I could be wrong about their placement. But they are there giving light and constantly having oil, which to me symbolizes the Holy Spirit. And when you think of olive trees, that's where you get the olive oil. And so to me, they're full of the Holy Spirit and the fire of God. So let's continue on reading here. Verse six, these have the power to shut up the sky so that rain will not fall during the days of their prophesying. We remember the story of Elijah where he was able to shut up the sky during that period where they had a drought. And it says, and they have the power to turn over the waters to turn them into blood. So you can see here why some people think this other witness is Moses, because Moses, of course, operated in amazing signs and wonders before Pharaoh, and one of those was turning them into blood. So it could be a clue in the text here that it's Moses. It says, and to strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. So it could be Moses and Elijah. We'll see. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is mystically called Sodom and Egypt, 
where also their Lord was crucified. Okay, we have a lot to talk about in just these few sentences right here. It says, when they have finished their testimony, the beast comes up out of the abyss and makes war with them. Who is this beast? Well, the beast in the in the Bible is both an empire and a person. And it is the empire of the Antichrist, which is going to come to rule and reign, but it is also representative of the person of the Antichrist, that head over that empire. So he, at the end, he is going to be able to overpower and kill them. It says, and their dead bodies will lie in the city, in the street of the great city, which is mystically called Sodom in Egypt. Now, Sodom was one of the places that was totally destroyed because of their sin. Then their great sin was homosexuality that had taken over Sodom. It's where we get the word sodomite from. And God found their sins in that city so grievous that he completely destroyed it with fire burning sulfur from heaven. And God saved Lot out of that. And the Bible talks about how the last days will be like the days of Lot, and they will be like the days of Noah. Now, in the days of Lot, he was rescued out by the angels just minutes, it seemed, before the destruction came. And so it makes sense for us as believers to understand that in the last days, it will be just like in the days of Lot and just like in the days of Noah, where Noah was shut up inside of the ark just moments before the rain started coming down. The very day is the day God shut the door when the rain started coming down. So the day of the Lord, which is also the day of the Lord's judgment, and it's important to know these terms. If you don't know these terms already, they're used quite often in scripture, and they are used to talk about the same thing thing, the day of the Lord and the day of the Lord's judgment. But this day of the Lord is also the day that the saints are rescued out. And so when we follow this biblical pattern, and trust me, folks, the Bible uses patterns to show us what's going to happen in the future. God set up his temple in on earth to display what is going on in heaven. He set up his feasts to show us what was going to happen in the future so that we would be expecting them. In fact, the feasts are like rehearsals for what's going to happen. He showed us things through through um, Joseph that were going to show us what Jesus was going to be like. So when you see patterns in the Bible, it's important to pay attention to what happened before because those things are most likely going to be fulfilled again. God likes to give us clues that way. So this, is, this place is being called Sodom, which was totally destroyed because of their wickedness and also Egypt. Now remember how bad Egypt was hit with the plagues, right? And then the Egyptians ended up getting killed when they followed and chased after God's people in the midst of the sea and they were covered over by the waters. So this place is being called nicknames that are bad nicknames to be associated with. They're not good nicknames. They're nicknames of places that had for forsaken God, that had worshiped idols, false gods and fallen in all kinds of sin. So the city being called by this name, it's not being these two names, it's not being called this in a loving way. You know, it's not like, oh, yay, good for you. It's not a reward type way. It's like a judgment type way. But notice again in the book of Revelation how the interpretation is given to us because it says here where also their Lord was crucified. Whose Lord? The two witnesses Lord. Where was the Lord crucified? Jerusalem. 
So Jerusalem is a city that God loves. He loves it, and yet it's a city that has forsaken God and that has worshipped false gods, false idols, and fallen into all kinds of sin. And it says that their dead bodies are going to lie in those streets, in the streets of that city. So read with me in verse 9 what happens next. Those from the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days. Now that's pretty interesting too. Three and a half days. This three and a half time frame seems to come up time and time again. And they preached for three and a half years. And now their dead bodies are visible to all for three and a half days. Also, this prophecy would not have been able to be fulfilled except for in today's era of modern technology with Wi-Fi connection, live streaming, you know, Facebook, YouTube, all that kind of stuff that you can do today where you can literally witness events that are happening as they're going on all over the world. This was not available, you guys, even 15 years ago, 20 years ago. This was not available. Even when my daughter was born in 2003, I don't think YouTube was available. So you guys, these things, these technologies weren't available until this season in the history of humankind. Do you think we're living in interesting times? I absolutely think we're living in special times. It says here, and and will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. So they left their bodies out. They wouldn't even honor their bodies enough to bury them. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate, and they will send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. We see here that these two prophets had the ability to do amazing signs and wonders from heaven, and so much so that the wicked people of the earth rejoice when they die. And they rejoice when they die. They give gifts to each other. They treat it like it's like it's Christmas, it's some holiday, like, yay, finally, those who were in, insisting on us being righteous, those who were bringing judgment on us because of our sin, yay, we're finally rid of them. And they give gifts to each other. But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon those who were watching them. And they heard in a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up into the cloud. They went up into heaven in the cloud and their enemies watched them. And in that hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. So when they come up to heaven, we don't know. Does that also happen at the same time when the rest of the saints are raptured up into heaven? We don't know for sure the time period of this. And I've been looking into this and wrestling with this. We know they preach for three and a half years. But does it happen in the first three and a half years of the last seven year period? Or does it happen in the last three and a half year period. Some people believe it happens in the last three and a half year period. But what separates, what event separates the two halves of the seven year period? We know from the book of Daniel that midway through the seven year period, which is which begins with the Antichrist setting up some type of a covenant with the holy people of Israel. So he's setting up some type of an agreement with them for peace.
Halfway through, he breaks that covenant and he sets up in the temple an abomination of desolation. So he sets up in the, in the temple something so horrible and vile in the middle of the temple. And in addition to that, he proclaims himself to be God instead of God, creator God. So he kind of reveals himself. Before then, he is working as a master of deception. He's deceiving the world and the nations, and they think that he is a person of peace. But we find out halfway through that he is a person of war. And after the abomination of desolation happens, Jesus tells us in Matthew 24 that the people of God need to flee from Judea. They need to get out quickly. Just like how Lot got out quickly, don't look back, don't go back for your coat. It's kind of the same imagery. Don't go back, but get out and flee to the hills, just like Lot fled to the hills. And they are supposed to do the same thing when that happens, because it at that time, Antichrist is going to begin to try to persecute believers. He wants to first go after the Jews, but when God protects the Jews, he's then going to go after her offspring, which we're going to talk about that more in Revelation 12, but the offspring, of course, being the Christians. Again, it says the second woe has passed, the third woe is coming. So these, the third woe is at the same time, it is having to do with the seventh trumpet because we we found that there were seven trumpets that were given. The first four trumpet blasts were bad, but not as bad as the ones that happen last. So we had the first two woes and now we have the third. So verse 15, read with me. The seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks to you, O Lord God, the almighty who are and who were because you have taken your great power and begun to reign. And the nations were enraged and your wrath came and the time came for the dead to be judged and the time for the reward of your bondservants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, the small and the great and to destroy those who destroy the earth. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened, and the ark of his covenant appeared in the in his temple. And there were flashes of night, lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. Okay, so we talked before about how some people see the seals as separate from the trumpets and that they are happening consecutively. And I can't say for sure that that's wrong, that's an okay and valid position to take. And it may be that that is exactly what is happening here. Some people, however, hold that the seals and the trumpets are overlapping in some way. One of the reasons you might think this is because right here at the seventh trumpet, you hear that it's saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And so they're announcing at that seventh trumpet and there are other places in the scriptures that talk about at the last trump. There's like several other scriptures that we could talk about, which we probably will when we start studying the book of Thessalonians. But we have to get to everything in this time. We can't cover it all in one video. That at the last trumpet, that the dead in Christ are going to be raised and that we are going to be then also gathered up with them. And we notice that this last trumpet, the return of Christ, and the resurrection of the dead, these events are linked together. That when Jesus comes in the clouds, that's when the resurrection of the dead happens and the gathering of the saints, as some call it, the rapture. 
So it seems as though at this time that the Lord is beginning to reign. And I just want you to look at one thing here. So we see in verse 19, it says the temple of God in heaven was opened and the ark of the covenant of his covenant appeared in his temple. For those of you guys that don't have a whole lot of background in the temple of the Lord, it was set up where it had an outer court, a holy area on the inside, and then the holiest of holies was on the inner chamber. So like three different squares coming inward three different rectangles coming inward and the inside was the holiest place and inside the holiest of holies was the ark of the covenant it was the 10 commandments of god given there and inside that container where the 10 commandments were there were some other elements there was uh, a jar of the manna which god provided in the desert for his people when they needed food he provided manna from heaven which represents jesus being the bread of life to us that god provides exactly that which we need for eternal life we cannot attain eternal life on our own we have to rely on the manna jesus yeshua the messiah Another thing that was inside that ark was a rod, a stick that was there that had sprouted. And the Lord had used that as a way to predict in the future. It was talking about something at that time. And maybe we'll get a chance to go, go into that story in more detail. I was just reading that story um, earlier this week. It might be in Exodus, actually. And the Lord had asked for Moses to bring one of the rods, like a shepherd's kind of a stick, you know, from each of the leaders of the tribes of Israel, bring one from each tribe. And he said, the one that I have chosen, I'm going to cause it to sprout. So here these dead sticks are that they're using like walking sticks. And God says, I'm going to choose one from among those. And that one is the one that I have going to be, cho I'm going to choose to be before me, to be ever present before me as a priest, basically before me. And then he chooses the one, I believe it's Aaron's stick that, that, that buds. But not only does it bud, it buds and it bears fruit. The next morning, I mean, it has, it has blossomed and, and, and full-grown fruit is there. I mean, God can cause maturity to happen in an instant. It doesn't have to happen slowly. Like in creation, when he created the plants, he can create them fully mature and fruit-bearing all at one time. And likewise, just with the stick, he did the same thing. He caused it to bear fruit right away. But this this stick is symbolic of Jesus because he talks later in the prophets about how he was going to cause a branch to grow forth. And this branch is representative of the priesthood, which Jesus, Jesus is. And so these symbols are all coming together. But we see here this imagery of this temple in heaven, which the one on earth was just a shadow of. And it says that it was opened and the Ark of the Covenant appeared in the temple. So now you know what's in the ark. And there were flashes of lightning, sounds and peals of thunder, and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. All right, here's where it gets interesting. Okay, so I want to take you back to Revelation chapter 8. Now, remember, we just finished reading about the seventh, seventh trumpet. So we just finished reading about the seventh trumpet. But check this out when we read about the seventh seal. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 8. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel came and stood at the altar, holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him, so that he might add to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which which 
And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there followed peals of thunder, sounds, and flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So we see the same imagery that's happening. Now, is it imagery saying to us that both of these events are linked together, the seventh seal and the seventh trumpet? Or is it imagery just to tell us something big is about to happen, and so it's happening before the seven trumpets, and it's happening after the seven trumpets? Well, that remains to be seen, but I do find it interesting because, you guys, this is the only place in all of Scripture that I found when I did my research that these things are listed together. The peals of thunder, sounds, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So that is from Revelation chapter 8, verse 5. When you go to chapter 11, again it says, flashes of lightning, sounds, peals of thunder, and an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. And I think that hailstorm was actually also included in, there's five things there. There's a great hailstorm. So there's five things that are happening. Yeah, so then, so there's five things that are listed there as happening. And then if you go back to Revelation 8, verse 6, it says, And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them, the first sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood and thrown on the earth. So it's interesting to see these things resembling each other, these same five things. Now, it could be that this they happen like bookends on either side, right before the trumpets and right after the trumpets. That could also be. But these are the only two places, I believe, in all of Scripture that these five signs are listed together. And so I think it's interesting to take note of that. So that concludes our reading of the book of Revelation for today. Thank you so much for joining me. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe, that, um, smash that subscribe button down below. And don't forget to share this video with all of your friends because you know Facebook, they're censoring it. So make sure to get this banned material out there so that people can know what's about to happen in the last days so that people have a chance to repent before the day of the Lord comes because we're living in a time of mercy, but the day of his judgment is coming. Okay, you guys, you're not going to want to miss what's coming up next in Revelation chapter 12. I have been praying and meditating on the scriptures, searching the scriptures day and also very late into the night, many nights in a row to talk to you about what's going to happen um, in the Revelation 12 sign and is it what's happening coming up in September 23rd. You're not going to want to miss that video and that's going to be coming up real soon. Until next time, this is Dana with the Wisdom Calls channel, helping you to understand the Bible better so that you can have a better relationship with God. Have a blessed day. Thank you for listening to the Wisdom Calls podcast. For more exclusive content, visit whatyourpastornevertoldyou.com. Sign up for emails and get updates. Also, there you'll find our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube channels. Thanks for listening and join us next time.